So Romans, uh, before we even get into the book, how many of you this, here this evening use the Bible app that looks like that on your phone? If you don't have it, and you're okay with apps and downloading, and you can, and, and I would encourage you to do it, search your app store and look for the Bible app that looks like that. Um, if you have it, great. If you don't, go ahead and try and get it. See, one of the only times I'll give you permission to be on your phone in church. Um, the Bible app is something that I've used in the past to pull up scripture and, and check references and things like that. It's interesting. There's a couple things you can study in there. But one of the cool things is you can follow plans. And you can follow plans with friends. And so um, I had a, a friend here in the church just sent me a friend request, I guess you could call it, through the Bible app and said, hey, so-and-so wants to be friends with you on the Bible app. I'm like, I didn't even know they knew how to use an app. All right. So I took out, and there's no problem. And you can share plans with friends. And so if you look for this plan, look for that one, there's one called Paul's Letters. And this is great supplemental information that will help you as we go through Paul's letters. Um, I don't pull my studies less necessarily for Wednesday nights from this, but it'll give you a different daily Bible reading verse. They'll give you a devotion. A lot of times there'll be a video, a little clip for you to watch. It's very entertaining and engaging. And it's a little something to get you reading your Bible every single day. And uh, it really has spurred me on lately to, to look into different different avenues to look how to how to study and how to look at this stuff um, through the technology. I mean, I was like, okay, get me a good commentary to flip open or one online that I can read. But this is something a little bit that, that we can all do together. So if you go on the Bible app and you find this plan, you'll see plans and go under there. You'll have to register and kind of get your name so we know who you are. And it'll keep us all accountable because it'll tell you if you miss a day. <laughs> it'll tell you if you miss two or three days it'll say hey you're behind two days and you can hit catch up and you'll get caught up and you can read it again but uh if you need help with this afterwards or whatever it's fine i could send you a text with a little link to it i'm sure i could probably figure that out but that's the plan for paul's letters and um this one is done by um a group of guys that have started something called the bible project they've done several reading plans so you'll know you're on the right one if you have the one that looks like this and it's by the guys that call their project the bible project and so i want to share a video with you that the bible project guys did for the introduction to romans has anybody read romans all the way through like word for word took time and read it like straight through or was it like a study both this gives an incredibly cool summary of the book of Romans. It's a little long. If you get tired, just say, hey, I'm tired of this. No, don't say that. It's lonely up here, folks. I'm just trying to make a... Okay. Paul's letter to the Romans. This is from the Bible Project. If you could hit play for me, Sean. And make sure it's loud enough. You got it. Awesome. 
Paul's letter to the Romans, it's one of the longest and most significant things ever written by the man who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish rabbi belonging to a group known as the Pharisees, and he was passionate and devout to the Torah of Moses and the traditions of Israel, and he saw Jesus and his followers as a threat. But then he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, who commissioned him as an apostle, like an official representative, to the world of non-Jewish people called Gentiles in the Bible. And so he started going by his Roman name, Paul, and he traveled all around the ancient Roman Empire, telling people about the risen King Jesus, and forming his followers then into these new communities called churches. And Paul would occasionally write letters to these new Jesus communities to help them foster their faith or answer questions, and the book of Romans is one of these. It was actually written quite late in his career. Now, we know from the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for some time, that it was made up of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But at one point, the Roman emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of those Jews, including Jesus-following Jews, were allowed to return. And when they did, they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in custom and practice. And so this created lots of tension. So that by Paul's day, the Roman church was divided. People disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They were debating about whether non-Jewish Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or eat kosher or be circumcised. And so Paul wrote this letter to accomplish a few things. He wanted this divided church to become unified and for a practical purpose. He was hoping that the Roman church could become a staging ground for his mission to go even further west all the way to Spain. And so these circumstances are what motivated Paul to write out his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news that he was announcing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, the letter is designed to have four main movements, but it's unified as one long-flowing exploration of the gospel. The gospel, Paul says, first of all, reveals God's righteousness, and then it also creates a new humanity, which fulfills God's promise to Israel. And so it's this gospel that's going to unify the church. In this video, we're just going to explore the ideas in chapters 1 through 4. So Paul opens by introducing himself as an apostle appointed by God to spread the gospel about Jesus, how he's the Messiah of Israel who was raised from the dead as the Son of God, King of the nations. And Jesus now calls all humanity to come under his loving rule. And Paul says this good news about King Jesus is, first of all, God's power to save people who trust in him, and second, that it reveals God's righteousness. Now, Righteousness is a rich Old Testament word for Paul. It describes God's character, that he always does justice, what is right and what is good, but also that he is faithful and just to fulfill his promises. And Paul's saying that the story of Jesus shows how God has done both of these things. How? Well, he goes first into a long creative retelling of Genesis chapters 3 through 11. He shows how all the Gentile world, all the nations, have become trapped in the spiral of sin and selfishness. The human heart and mind are broken, Paul says. We've turned away from God to embrace idolatry, which means finding ultimate significance in created things and then giving ultimate allegiance to these things that are not God. This results in a distortion of our humanity and destructive behavior. And so what's left is a humanity that stands guilty as charged before a just and righteous God. 
To which the people of Israel might say, well, it's a good thing then that God chose our people out from among the nations. He saved us out of slavery in Egypt. He gave us the laws of the Torah, like the Sabbath and eating kosher and circumcision. And these all together show us how to live as God's holy people. But, Paul says, not so fast. He recalls the storyline of the Torah and of the rest of the Old Testament, which shows that Israel was just as sinful and idolatrous and morally broken as the rest of humanity. Israel is actually more guilty than the Gentiles, Paul says, because they have the Torah. They should know better. And so, Paul concludes, all humanity, Gentiles, Israelites, are hopelessly trapped and guilty before God, but that is not the final word. The good news about Jesus is God's response. Instead of holding humanity guilty, Jesus came as Israel's Messiah to die on behalf of all people as a sacrifice for sins. As our representative, Jesus took into himself all of the just consequences of the pain, the sin, and the death that we have caused in the world. And he overcame it all by his resurrection from the dead. It's his new resurrection life that he makes available to others. Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. And all of this, Paul says, is how God justifies those who trust or have faith in Jesus. Now, justification is another rich Old Testament term for Paul, and it's related to God's righteousness. It literally means to declare righteous. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we are given a new status before God. Instead of finding us guilty, God declares that a person is in a right relationship with him and is forgiven. Justification results in a new family. The person who trusts in Jesus is given a place among God's covenant people. Justification also results in a new future, which begins a journey of life transformation by God's grace. And so all of these things about justification are God's gift to those who through their faith are in Christ. And so this leads Paul in chapter 4 to explore the huge implications that all of this has for who can be a part of God's covenant family. He goes back to the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Before any of the laws of the Torah were given to Israel, Abraham was justified or declared righteous before God. How? Well, God promised that Abraham would become a father of a large multi-ethnic family that would receive God's blessing. But he and his wife Sarah, they were really old. They had never been able to have children. But nonetheless, Abraham had radical faith and trust in God's promise. And so God declared him to be righteous. And so Paul says, now Abraham has become the father of God's new covenant family, and it's spreading all around the world. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles who have the same kind of faith and trust in the one who fulfilled God's promise to Abraham, Jesus the Messiah. So let's pause and summarize Paul's main ideas here in chapters 1 through 4, because they're the foundation for understanding the rest of the letter. All humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. That rescue, however, is not going to happen by people trying to obey the laws of the Torah. Rather, God's righteous character has moved him to rescue the world through Jesus' death and resurrection, so that he could create that multi-ethnic family of Abraham based on faith as his own new covenant people. And so Paul's going to go on to show how this new family is a part of something much, much bigger that calls them to a whole new way of life together. But it's all going to be rooted in these core ideas explored in chapters 1 through 4 of Paul's letter to the Romans. Pretty neat.
pretty cool stuff. I'm good. So if you ever wanted someone to understand what the book of Romans is about, the Bible Project guys got it done for us. The importance and impact of Paul's letter to the Romans. A few examples. In the summer of 386, that was a long time ago, a man wept in the backyard of a friend. He knew his life of sin and rebellion against God left him empty and feeling dead, but he just couldn't find the strength to make a final, real decision for Jesus Christ. As he, as he sat, he heard children playing a game, and they called out to each other these words, Take up and read! Take up and read! Thinking God had a message to him in the words of these children, he picked up a scroll laying nearby and began to read. Not in reveling in, and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's Romans chapter 13. He didn't read any further. He didn't have to. Through the power of God's word, Romans, Augustine gained, gave, gained the faith to give his whole life to Jesus Christ at that moment. Augustine, one of the foundational fathers of the faith. Number two, in August of 1513, not so long ago, but pretty long ago, a monk lectured on the book of Psalms to seminary students, but his inner life was nothing but turmoil. In his studies, he came across Psalm 31, 1. In thy righteousness deliver me, it said. The passage confused Luther, who, how could God's righteousness do anything but condemn him to hell as a righteous punishment for his sins? Luther kept thinking about Romans 1, 17 which says the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith as it is written he through faith is righteous shall live the monk went on to say night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith Therefore, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The message of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. Martin Luther was born again because he read the words in Romans 1.17 and the Reformation began in his heart. One more. In May of 1738, that wasn't that long ago, a failed minister and missionary reluctantly went to a small Bible study where someone read aloud from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. As the failed missionary said later, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. How many know who this is? I felt I did cr trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine. <clears throat> John Wesley was saved that night in London. How powerful is the word of God and how powerful is the book of Romans? Consider the testimony of these men regarding Romans. Martin Luther praised Romans. He says it's the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect 
gospel, the absolute epitome of the gospel. Luther's uh, successor, uh, Philip Melanchthon, called Romans the compendium of Christian doctrine. I don't know what a compendium is, but it sounds important. John Calvin said of the book of Romans, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. Samuel Coleridge, English poet and literary critic, said Paul's letter to the Romans is... Now, this is an English poet and literary critic. He said Paul's letter to the Romans is the most profound work in existence. Frederick Godet, 19th century Swiss Swiss theologian, called the book of Romans the the cathedral of Christian faith. Richard Lenski wrote that the book of Romans is beyond question the most dynamic of all New Testament letters, even as it was written at the climax of Paul's apostolic career. We should also remember the Apostle Peter's words about Paul's letters. It says this in 2 Peter chapter 3. Also, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, in which are some things hard to understand. The book of Romans has life-changing truth, but it must, must be approached with effort and determination to understand what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bible app now downloaded, we're going to get into the book of Romans chapter 1. I think I have some of it on the screen. Huh. I was going to have some of it on the screen. It's coming. Thanks, Sean. Romans chapter 1. And I like to read Romans in a few different translations, but this is in the New King James Version. King James is a little too these and thousy for me. Although, you know, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it should be good enough for me. Nothing? Nothing. All right, thank you. One, I got one. Romans chapter one, Paul introduces himself to the Roman Christians. Says this, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now Paul if we remember correctly from that little video we watched, the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, also known as who? Previous Saul uh, of Tarsus. Uh, The life and ministry is well documented through um, the book of Acts, chapter 8 through pretty much 28, as well as Galatians 1 and 2 and 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. And it is almost universally agreed that Paul wrote Romans from the city of Corinth as he wintered there on his third missionary journey as described in Acts chapter 20 verses 2 and 3 and this is based on Romans 16.1 along with a few other scriptures and a variety of commentators pick the date of writing anywhere from 53 to 58 AD when the apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans he had been a Christian preacher for some 20 years already On his way to Jerusalem, he had three months in Corinth without any pressing duties. Paul was just hanging out in Corinth. And he perhaps thought this was a good time to write ahead to the Christians in Rome. 
a church he had planned to visit, important words, after the trip to Jerusalem. And as Paul endeavored to go to Rome, the Holy Spirit warned him about the peril awaiting him in Jerusalem. What if he were unable to make it to Rome? He had that warning in his heart given to him by the Holy Spirit saying, you got some trouble waiting for you in Jerusalem. I know you're planning to go to Rome afterwards, Paul, but what if you don't make it? Paul says, what if I don't make it? Then he felt compelled to write him a letter, uh, the Romans, that would be so comprehensive that the Christians in Rome would have the, have the gospel that Paul preached. Even if Paul himself wasn't able to go to Rome, to get to Rome. Because of all this, Romans is different than any of the other letters uh, that Paul wrote to these churches. Other New Testament letters focus more on the church and its challenges, right? Think of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He was dealing with some very deep-seated traditions and, and things that shouldn't have been happening in the church. And Paul had to write them and say, hey, this stuff, knock it off. Do this stuff. But the letter to Romans focuses more on God and his great plan of redemption. Uh, if you can get past the big words, if you want to read a, a good translation of Romans, it is in the message translation. If you can get past all those big words like the the um, Bible Project guys were using, like justification and things like that. Um, if you want to get past all that stuff, really the, Ro- the book of Romans spells out God's plan, his salvation, and who you are in Christ. One of the biggest two words I, I pull out of the book of Romans is, uh, is in Christ, who we are in Christ. And we know that the letter to the Romans was prized by the Christians in Rome. Clement of Rome's letter in 96 AD shows great familiarity with Paul's letter, and it may be that he memorized it even, and that the reading of it became a part of virtually every meeting of the Roman church. Um, as well as many scholars, uh, many scholars, Bruce and Barclay, uh, believe that an edited version of Romans without the personal references in Romans 16 was distributed widely among the early churches as a summary of apostolic doctrine. So all of the apostles, uh, like Paul, um, their doctrine, so Paul was, the, was an apostle, although when we get into the letters of Paul, you'll, you'll see that Paul describes himself um, as, a, as a bondservant or called to be an apostle. He gets kind of high on his horse. But then as the letters progress, he realizes humility in Christ and starts saying, you know what, I'm the chief of sinners. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll see that as we walk through some of these letters, hopefully. So he goes on to say, so that's Paul. And he says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Uh, a bond servant, Paul's self-identification. He is first a servant of Jesus Christ, and second, called to be an apostle. Um, a bond servant or a servant gives the idea um, not of 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 a slave almost. Does any of your translations do you know that as Paul saying, "I am a slave"? You do, Celeste. Yeah. Paul says, "I am a slave." Um, of, of Jesus Christ or a slave to Christ but the idea behind the word for servant here which is the Greek word doulos is complete and utter devotion uh, not the abjectness which was like the condition of a slave where it's like you know someone just doing it because they're told to 
this word, the bondservant word, is um, more of someone who is, has complete and utter devotion um, to the one that they're a servant of, right? So you would hear about slaves who would be well taken care of. This wasn't... When you think of slaves in ancient times, right? We don't think of slaves as like the slavery that happened here in the United States and, and other countries where you know, the oppression and things like that. But even some of those slaves um, got to live with their masters and appreciate um, the, the quarters that they lived in and the provision that the master would give them. So this was complete and utter devotion uh, as a servant of Jesus Christ. Um, it's a much higher title um, than one that he would even say called to be an apostle. Uh, it says, separated to the gospel of God. Who has a different translation of that? Just shout it out. You got a different one, Celeste? What does it say? Yes, separated to the gospel, sent out. Um, The idea of being an apostle is that you're a special ambassador or or messenger. Uh, Paul's message is the gospel. Um, Paul's message is... The gospel means good news, which is a little bit on that video. That was the good news, or the gospel of God. It is the gospel of God, in a sense, that belongs to God in heaven. It's the good news. This isn't a gospel that Paul made up. He's simply a messenger of the gospel of God. So as Paul's writing this letter, um, he wants to make it crystal clear from the very, very first sentence that this isn't the gospel according to Paul, this isn't Paul's theology to the, to the church in Rome. This is Paul, an ambassador or messenger of God's gospel. The gospel of God. Very important. Separated unto the gospel. And Paul might be referring here as separated um, to his former state, which, in which he was a Pharisee. Uh, which literally signifies a separatist. So if Paul was no longer um, a Pharisee, he was separated, or one that was separated um, from that lifestyle into and unto the gospel of God. So right off the bat, Paul is saying, you know what? Uh, This was me, but now I have been separated to the gospel of God. So Paul, within the first sentence of Romans already kicks it off kind of saying I was this now I'm this which is a theme all throughout the book of Romans all throughout Paul's letters really I was this now I'm this so he could be alluding to the name of Pharisee which is from separating actually Um, but most theologians would say you know what Paul I was a Pharisee and now I am separated to the gospel Okay, the gospel of God. Other New Testament letters focus more on the church and its challenges, as we said, Corinthians, Galatians, uh, all of those churches. Um, But Romans focuses more on God himself. God is the most important word in this epistle. Romans is a book about God. No topic is treated with anything like the frequency of God. Everything Paul touches in this letter, he relates to God. 
In our concern to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying about righteousness, justification, and everything he wants to get into in the book of Romans, we ought not to overlook his tremendous concentration on God. Make no mistake about it. The word God occurs 153 times in the book of Romans. Romans is not that long. 153 times God, the word God, appears. An average of once every 46 words. This is more frequently than any other New Testament book. Any other. Paul, Paul's writings are not. In comparison, note the frequency of other words used in Romans. The word law, 72 times. Christ, 65 times. Not even coming close to 153. Sin, 48 times. Lord, 43 times. And faith, 40 times. Roman deals with many different themes. But as much as a book can be, it is a book about God. Many other important words in the vocabulary of Romans. Um, the commentator Bruce quotes Tyndale's preface to Romans, Tyndale Publishing's preface to Romans. He says this, First we must mark diligently the manner of speaking of the Apostle. And above all things, know what Paul means by these words. The law, sin, grace, faith, righteousness, flesh, spirit, and such the like. Or else, read it ever so often that thou shalt lose but, what, that thou shalt but lose thy labor. In other words, don't waste your time. Get into this book and know what Paul means by all of these words. But make no mistake about it. It's a book about God. Verse 2. Here we go. Which he promised before, which he promised before, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to to the flesh flesh, and declared to be the son of God here's that God again with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name capital H among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ there's a lot there and this is not light study. We're going to dig in. You okay with that? This is digging. Get your shovel. This is jump in the hole. It's digging. He promised before through his prophets. The gospel is not new. Let's go back. Verse 2. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This gospel is not new. And it's not a clever invention of man, no man, Paul or any other. Paul's world was much like our world with people that, that liked new teachings. People liked to hear new doctrines. People liked to get excited about new things. Nevertheless, Paul did not bring something new, but something very, very old in the plan of God. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the centerpiece of, of, of Paul's gospel. 
God's gospel. Pretty much the, the, this, this, this section of it right here concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This one commentator says that uh, this is the Son, S-U-N, that everything else orbits around. The center of Christianity, that it's not a, a teaching or a moral system, the center of Christianity is this person, Jesus Christ. This Jesus has both a human origin, where it says, born of the seed of David, right? There's Jesus, born of the seed of David, human origin. We say that Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. Human origin and eternal existence, declared to be the Son of God. Declared to be the Son of God. And the evidence of Jesus' humanity in, is his human, human birth. The evidence of his deity is the resurrection from the dead. Someone walks up out of a grave that used to be dead, people tend to remember and take notice. That's the evidence of his deity, of who he is. Uh, I'm, never, I'm never more enamored than when I read the story of Easter when Jesus... Is, uh, is not in the tomb, when he is risen from the dead. People don't just raise from the dead, let alone raise from the dead and be on the other side of a tomb with a huge stone in front of it that was sealed. Uh, that's a big deal. For Paul to write that, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, was a big deal. That would have been... all. Everything else could have come could have come and described, he could have come being described another God, another deity, another something. But this Son of God, this Jesus Christ, who we talked about just a few verses before, was resurrected from the dead. So that's like a mic drop moment for Paul and for Jesus. Where it was like, yeah, you can describe all these other gods, little g, or other idols that the, that the video told us about. You can describe a lot of things. And I know you guys like all the latest teachings and things. And some of you subscribe to that here in Rome. But I'm going to tell you that this one, uh, this one raised and walked out of the grave. Drop the mic, walk off. That's the end of that. So that this is this is the as this commentator said the sun that everything revolves around this Jesus who was raised from the dead. Okay, now we have to sit up and pay attention. The resurrection of Jesus shows his divine power because he rose by his own power. He said this. Remember this in John chapter two. He said, "Destroy this temple." In remember this temple, he was speaking of himself. He said, "Destroy this temple." And in three days, I'll raise it up again. He raised himself by his own power. It shows his divine power. And there's a sense in which Jesus was the Son of God uh, in weakness before the resurrection, but the Son of God in power thereafter, which is one of the Morris, one of these um, commentators chimed in with that. The sense in which Jesus was the Son of God in weakness before the resurrection, but the Son of God in power thereafter, like describing that mic drop. All right. Oh, we're not there yet. Concerning his son Jesus. Yeah. Declared. So, an ancient Greek word, horizo, comes from the idea of 
to bound or define, determine, or limit, and since our wor- hence our word horizon. So it determines or limits and de- defines something. A line that determines the farthest visible part of the earth in reference to the heavens. In this place, the word signifies such a manifest and complete exhibition of the subject as to render it indubitable. In other words, declared says, you know what, we're declaring, we're drawing a line in the sand. Uh, we're drawing a, a line of delineation, if you will. Like, this is, this is the Son of God declaring uh, himself to be resurrected. I'm drawing a line in the sand. That's where that declared comes from. It's horizo. I guess that's how you say it. Um, powerful. Powerful stuff here in the last or in the next uh, couple of verses still not there yet it's impossible to doubt indubitable Jesus Christ our Lord uh, is obviously that the Apostle Paul would call Jesus Lord uh, it could be this term could be no more than a polite form of address like or address like sir like you would hear people in the old ancient um, ancient movies that they would show you know movies they would show of ancient times or even old English times where they would say my lord right yes my lord uh, it could just be like yes sir like our sir yes sir yes my lord but it could also be used of the deity that one worships. Uh, the the real the really significant background though is is its use in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to render the divine name Yahweh. Christians who used this as their Bible, the Old Testament, would be familiar with the term as equivalent to deity. So the commentator is telling us that 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 he says Jesus Christ our Lord isn't the polite sir. Hello, sir. No, it isn't that. This is when when the Lord is used in the Old Testament. Yahweh, the Old Testament, the Lord is used. That's what Paul's saying here. That's the word that's translated here. It says, through him, we are not there yet. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Um, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Uh, we can stop there. Paul's gospel impacts individual lives. Um, it's not interesting theory or philosophy. It's life-changing good news. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. The gospel gave Paul and the church grace and apostleship. One more, and one reason those two gifts were given was to produce obedience to the faith. Without grace, favor, and the help, really, of God, he could not have been an apostle. So without God's grace, Paul couldn't have even called himself or, or measured up to be an apostle. It's only by grace. The gospel is big enough and great enough for the whole world. It must go out to 
all nations. You see that? All nations. All nations. The gospel had reached the Roman Christians demonstrating that they are the called of Jesus Christ. So Paul would have known that there would have been Roman Christians who needed this, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And any time you, you doubt your faith, any time that you, you sort of think, well, was this thing, was this faith in Jesus that I have real, or, or, or was it just something that I, I inherited from Grandma, or was, is this faith in Jesus a real thing in my daily, every single day life, Remember, like the Roman Christians, that you also are the called of Jesus Christ. That doesn't refer to a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't refer to a pastor. It doesn't refer to anybody that is called up above someone else for for a particular calling. But Paul was saying that through Jesus we've received grace and apostleship. And all of this to say that this, this... Gospel is for all nations and for you who are also the called of Jesus Christ. You Roman citizens and you sitting in this room, God has called your name. You are called. One more and then we'll be done. One more. Okay. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world I want to stop there you know Paul when he addressed these people Paul had never been to Rome Paul did not found the Roman church and this makes the book of Romans different because most of Paul's letters, letters were written to churches that he founded personally. He saw the map, the dots on that map. And by the way, that Bible app, the Bible project plan in the Bible app um, has a lot of those, those videos those guys have put together and they're, they're fantastic. Um, so as you go through your devotional time throughout the week, follow along, find, find me on the Bible app and let's all connect through all that, and then we'll keep each other accountable for reading uh, through this letter of Paul's. Paul didn't found the book of, or Paul didn't found the Roman Church. It makes the book of Romans different, and it seems that the church in Rome, according to this commentator and, and according to biblical history, it seems that the church in Rome began somewhat spontaneously as Christians came to the great city of the empire and settled there. There is also no biblical or historical evidence that the apostle Peter even founded the church in Rome. So the Roman church uh, spontaneously or, or sort of just kind of happened. Uh, you, you would imagine that the, the epicenter of the world at that time, or that part of the world for sure, huge empire was, was Rome, the Roman Empire. And so you're going to have, with that many people, you're going to have some that were believers. Some had gotten word of the gospel. So as Paul would say, uh, or Paul has said, he thanks God, my God, through Jesus Christ, for you all. Remember, he's writing to a future church that he hopes to visit. Uh, not in the present time, but he's writing as though he may never get there. But he knows that there are Christians there. 
He's heard that, I'm sure. I don't know how they communicated so greatly back then. But somehow he got word through through, through, through Peter, maybe, or through whoever it was. But he heard that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And we'll end on this this evening. Um, When you come to faith in Jesus Christ... Don't think that you've come to faith and that you're on an island all by yourself. And also don't think that the world around you isn't watching or isn't being impacted because of your faith. Paul would say your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Well, what does your world look like? What does your world look like? Who's in your sphere of influence? What what does your world look like on a daily basis? Who's in your world? Because your faith is spoken of throughout your world. You live it out. People are watching, as people were in Rome. How else would they have heard? People are watching your life. You claim to be the one that that, that, that follows the Jesus that, that, that Paul speaks of many times, even right, right up to the first seven verses. So people are watching. No pressure. <laughs> but your faith would be spoken of throughout the whole world. That's what I'm striving for. Through the Holy Spirit's help, leadership, guidance, that my whole world would take notice of my faith. And that my faith, the faith through Jesus Christ, the faith that Paul talks about in the first seven chapters of this unbelievably awesome book of Romans, this faith would be spoken of throughout the whole world. That people in my family my extended family, people that that I hang around with, people that you hang around with in your world, would they know about your faith? Is it spoken of throughout your whole world? Are people looking at you saying, you're different, something happened. I know some of you have incredible testimonies. And all throughout Romans, Paul's going to tell us, I was this, Now I'm this. Even in the first few lines, I was Saul, now I'm Paul. I was a Pharisee, now I'm an apostle. I was this, now I'm this. And Paul's saying, you know, I want that for you guys too. Even though we may never meet, I'm still thankful because I've heard of your faith. We have social media We have cell phones. We have connection at our fingertips. Pray before you post. Pray before you post. Is your faith going to be known throughout the whole of your world? 
if you take nothing away from this beginning part of Romans, and this gets, I'm telling you, it's, it digs in. Make sure your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Pray before you post. We are connected at our fingertips. How does your world perceive you and your faith? Because they're watching. They're watching. If you say you were this and now you're this, you know what the world says? Prove it. Show me. Prove it. Because they see, they scroll, they see the rest of the garbage, right? They see it. We all see it. But when they come upon your post, is it, does it look different? Or does it look the same? What are you liking? Thumbs up. Like, oh, I like that. Oh, you like that post about that? What does that say to your world? Paul said, I know your faith. I've heard about it. <laughs> Boy, I mean, wow. With that said, let's pray together. I mean, it's 8.08. I want to keep this to about an hour. Our kids will be done soon. Um, let's have a word of prayer together. Asking the Holy Spirit <clears throat> what he would reveal to us through just these first seven verses, eight verses of the book of Romans. I got a lot here that we didn't get to. We'll get there. <clears throat>